Give peace a chance. Peace begins with you. Peace is the way for a better day. These are just a few of the slogans that have been used throughout the years in order to encourage our governments to work together towards world peace. But rather than ending their never-ending wars, the governments of the world instead decided to work through the UN, the United Nations, to create the International Day of Peace. And with this, they've sold everything. Well, seriously, it was back in 1981 when the United Nations passed a Peace Day resolution. And, and all in order to encourage all of humanity to set aside all of our differences so that we can all contribute to building a culture of peace all around the world. And in case you didn't know, the UN's International Day of Peace was just observed two, uh, two weeks ago on the 21st of September. And while the sentiment of Peace Day is designed to foster peace throughout the world, well, the UN's International Day of Peace two weeks ago, it failed to solve any problem at all because it failed to, to produce world peace as ongoing wars continue to occur. This, of course, includes the Ukrainian war, which uh, will possibly result in World War III. Iran has also been engaging in a proxy war against Israel for several years, which, well, this includes attacks launched from Syria, from Lebanon, and the Gaza Strip as they continue to uh, engage in this proxy war against Israel. There are also wars in Yemen, Ethiopia, Haiti, Pakistan, and, you know, it won't be long until China invades Taiwan. Without debate, world peace appears to be a desire that continues to disappear more and more each and every day. And while some of us might not be so concerned about the wars that are happening in other areas of the world because they're happening in other areas of the world... Many of us are just a bit more concerned about the lack of peace that we're experiencing here in America. This includes the purchasing power of the dollar, which is decreasing each and every day. Uh, there's also the increasing amount of violent crimes, including homicide and carjackings that are happening in most major cities. Many police departments have been defunded, and our judicial system seems to favor the criminal over the victim. That being the case, we continue to hear about emboldened criminals who apparently have no fear of punishment, knowing that uh, we now have a revolving door judicial system. And as a result, you know, many of us are just lacking the peace of mind that we'd like to enjoy here in our country. And if this sounds like your situation, well, I'm happy to tell you that the Lord is still able to provide us with perfect peace. And yes, no matter what's happening here in the world. The Lord is able to provide those who trust in him with perfect peace. And yes, no matter what's happening here in this world. And as we study the scriptures before us this morning, we're going to begin to see, first of all, that Christians can find peace in the power of God. Secondly, we'll learn that Christians can find peace in, in the word of God. And then thirdly and finally, we'll see that Christians can find peace in the grace of God. Well, with this as the outline, let's open our Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Here we find Paul. He's presenting the original recipients of this epistle with a final word of encourage, encouragement. And you know, as you make your way to the third chapter of 2 Thessalonians, I just want to take a moment to put our text back into its context. 
I'll remind you that Paul began this epistle with the common greeting of grace and peace. As a matter of fact, it was back in the beginning of this letter where he declares grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here in the final section of this epistle, we find Paul, he's wrapping up this letter by reminding the Christians there in Thessalonica that the peace and the grace of God are found in Jesus Christ our Lord. And with this as the focus, let's pick up our study of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I want to begin to wrap up this book, beginning there at verse 16. Here Paul declares... Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now here in the final verses of this epistle, we find Paul. He's concluding this epistle with a benediction for the believers who were there in Thessalonica. And knowing how they had suffered for the sake of our Savior, you know, Paul took the time to remind them that no matter what's happening in their lives and no matter what's happening in the world around us, we can still find perfect peace in the presence of the Lord Jesus. And just to be clear about this promise, it'll help you to know that the word peace, which is found there in verse 16, it's translated from a Greek word which was used in reference to the state of security and safety that a nation enjoys in times of national tranquility. And so when a nation is no longer at war, they experience peace. In a spiritual sense, the same word translated peace, it refers to the tranquil state of the soul that's assured of its salvation through Christ Jesus. And as a result, they fear nothing from God because the believer is at peace with every earthly situation. And so if you've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you can rest assured that you have peace with God no matter what's happening in the world around us. Now, in order to better understand the significance of what Paul is saying here in the final verses of this book, it's important for us to remember that the Christians there in Thessalonica were actually living during a time of incredible stress. And one reason why, well, it's because the disciples of Christ were enduring incredible persecution there in the first century. I'll remind you, it was back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. That's where we learned that these believers had received the word in much affliction. They received the word, yes, but at a time when there was much affliction for Christians. Also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we learned about the way that they had suffered the same things from their countrymen that the Jewish believers in Israel had suffered at the hands of the Judeans. And so they were being persecuted in, in the same way that the believing Jews in Israel were being persecuted. And even in the midst of all this persecution, Paul assures them here that they could still have peace. Yes, they were enduring affliction. Yes, they were enduring great persecution. And yet Paul says you can still have peace. As a matter of fact, look with me again there, beginning at verse 16. Here again, Paul declares, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. Peace. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace. That word give, well, it's translated from a Greek word which, which was used in reference to that which is supplied or furnished. The same word was also used of something that's granted or delivered to the recipient. And as we consider the tense and the voice of this Greek verb, 
Well, it seems to me that Paul here is reminding his readers that the Lord of peace not only wants to give us peace, but he wants to continually grant us peace each and every day. It's for this reason that the scholars who created the New American Standard Bible, they render verse 16 in this way. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. That's right. Regardless of your circumstances, the Lord of peace wants to continually grant you peace. And this includes peace that is given to us today. And no matter the situation tomorrow, the Lord of peace will still be there, ready to grant you peace tomorrow. And listen, every day that is called today is a day when the Lord of peace will grant perfect peace to those who trust in him. What's going to happen in the future? I don't know, except I do know this, that the Lord of peace is going to be there. And he's going to be ready to grant us peace on that day. If you're wondering if he's able to provide us with perfect peace in the midst of a collapsing society, yes. Yes, he's able to to do that because he's the Lord of peace and therefore he's able to grant us peace even you know, if, if the U.S. ends up completely bankrupt, you know, you know, a dollar that's collapsed, you know, all of our 401k, you know, plans are gone, you know, and if everything just goes belly up, the Lord of peace is still the one on the throne, and he's able to grant us his perfect peace. With that, I want to consider again here in verse 16, Paul declares, now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace that word lord it's translated from the greek word kyrios and just to be clear kyrios is used of those who were you know in in high positions like an emperor would be called a kyrios or, or the chief over you know a, a a society would be a kyrios or or someone who's a master over others or a king uh, these might be called kyrios or lord The same word was also used of those who possess the power to control whatever their Lord over. And so when when the Greeks would call someone Kyrios or Lord, they're saying, hey, they are the Lord or they have power over whatever they're controlling. And so when Paul refers to Jesus as the Lord of peace, well, guess what Jesus is controlling? Peace. Jesus is the Lord of peace. And therefore, he is the one who has the power to provide us with peace, even when there is no peace. To further prove my point, I want to consider something that the Lord revealed in Isaiah chapter 9. It's there where the Lord leads the prophet Isaiah to declare about the ministry of the Messiah. He says, for unto us a child is born Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Creator, Prince of Peace. Yeah, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And then Isaiah goes on to say say this, that of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Here in this messianic prophecy, we find the prophet Isaiah, he's describing our Savior as the Prince of Peace. Not the Savior formerly known as the Prince of Peace, but he is the Prince of Peace. 
of peace. We also learn that there's coming a day when the Prince of Peace will establish his peace here on this planet. That's right, there's coming a day when all the war hawks and all the war mongers of this world will finally be put in their place. Those who love to stir up war between nations so that they can make money on it, the Lord will finally put them in their place. And it's at that point in time when the Lord of peace will establish his perfect peace as he rules and reigns over the earth with a rod of iron. I look forward to that day, I'm sure you do as well. But until that day comes, listen, the Lord of peace still has the power to provide his peace to those who trust in him. Let's consider again the way that the scholars who created the New Living Translation render verse 16. Here's how they put it. Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation. The Lord of peace gives us whose peace? Well, it's his peace. The Lord of uh, of peace is the one who is able to provide us with his peace. In other words, the peace that surpasses all understanding, it's not a state of mind that we can simply conjure up within our hearts. This state of peace isn't something that we can, well, if we just read the right, you know, manual, if we we just, you know, play the right meditative music, you know, if we just have the right combination of rest and work, and if we just can, can, can take enough vacations, you know, well, then we'll have, no, there might be some peace in, in those things, but it's not perfect peace. It's not lasting peace. A lot of people, you know, when they go on vacation, they have such a peaceful time on vacation. And so that when they move back home, they're thinking, well, maybe if we move there, life will be better. No, because when you move there, you're going to have to get a job. And then you're no longer on vacation. You see, it can't be lasting peace. We need lasting peace. And this is a peace that can only come from the Lord of peace because he alone has the power to provide us with this peace at any time and in every situation. And so listen, if you're lacking peace in your life, then the chances are you probably need to spend more time with the Lord of peace. And to prove my point, let's take another look there at verse 16. Here again, Paul declares, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The Lord be with you all. Paul here is helping his audience to see the connection between the provision of peace and the person of peace. There's a connection between the provision of peace and our, our, our relationship or, or our, our, our connection with the person of peace. You see, when we get together with the Lord, when we spend time with our Savior, when we're, when we're praying and engaging in a devotional life through the study of the word, we enter into the presence of the one who has the power to provide us with his peace regardless of the circumstances. And so we must not fail to recognize the connection between the provision of peace and the person who provides us with peace. And as we consider this connection, it's important for us to understand that the Christian who is lacking peace within their hearts, well, this person is probably failing to spend time with the Lord of peace. Therefore, those who want to enjoy the peace of the Lord, well, we must spend time connecting with the Lord of peace. 
To further make my case, we should consider a promise that Christ Jesus presented to his disciples. And so hold your place here in 2 Thessalonians. I'd like you to turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John. And specifically, let's turn to John chapter 14. As you make your way to the 14th chapter of John's Gospel account, I just want to take a moment to point out that there's a never-ending list of things for us to be worried about. Right? There's a never-ending list of things for us to be worried about. And if you don't have enough things on that list, talk to me after the service today. I'll give you at least 10 more. 10 things happening in the world today that you should be worried about. Because you worrying about it is going to solve everything, like the Marburg virus. Well, Google it later. Have fun. Something to be worried about. Lots of things to be worried about. And a lot of us are worrying about all of them, right? And and with that being the case, we shouldn't be surprised to find those who want to offer us worldly solutions to our anxieties. They they want to provide us with temporal peace, with worldly solutions, and, and sometimes, you know, they actually work for a short amount of time. Some people would point us to Eastern meditation because nothing is more peaceful than saying the same thing over and over and over and over again until your mind is numb. Well, except for, you know, Jesus told us not to do it. You know, he told us to avoid vain repetitions. And yet there's many in the church today who are now telling us to pray with these sort of vain repetitions. I say, don't do it. Others would point us to yoga because nothing's more peaceful than slowly tearing your ligaments apart. That's fun. You know, others would instruct us to go and, and, you know, smoke some pot or take some Prozac or, or, or go to the movies or whatever the case may be. Listen, there are many ways to achieve temporal peace, but that peace quickly goes away. Jesus alone is the one who has the power to provide us with everlasting peace. Let's consider the way that the Lord put it here in John chapter 14. If you would look with me there at verse 27, here Jesus declares, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Christian, listen, if you're looking for peace in worldly things, uh, you might have a small taste of peace, but it quickly goes away. If you're looking looking for peace in the bottom of a bottle of wine, you might find a little bit of peace there, along with stained teeth, but it won't last long. You'll need more wine tomorrow. If you're looking for peace in an exercise program, because, you know, when you exercise, you just kind of get into the zone and these sorts of... Listen, you might have peace for a while. Well, that is until, you know, you're too old to exercise. Listen, there, there are worldly measures that can give a little bit of peace. But I'm here to tell you that those who will spend time with the Prince of Peace, we will discover a source of peace that is supernatural and it's why it's, it's referred to as peace that surpasses all understanding. We won't understand how we're having so much peace when there's so much wrong. And as we seek peace from the Lord of peace, we'll rejoice as we realize that our God is the all-powerful one who alone is able to work through every trial, every trouble, every tribulation for the good of those who love him. And, and regardless of the circumstances, what's going on in Ukraine, what's going on in Taiwan, You know, what's going on in Washington? Can I control any of that? Can I change any of that with my worrying? Can I fix any of that with my anxiety? The answer is no. But you know who can? Jesus. 
He has the authority in every place all over the earth. He has the authority. So does he need me to worry about all these things? And the answer is no. Jesus does not need me to worry about all these things. He just needs us to connect with him, trust in him, and then he will help us to overcome every anxiety as the Lord of peace provides perfect peace always and in every way. We can find peace in the power of God because God is in charge of everything. And this brings us to our second point because, listen, we not only find peace in the power of God, but we also find peace in the word of God. With that as our focus, you know, I want you to make your way back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Here we find Paul providing the original recipients of this epistle with a final salutation. And so look with me here, beginning once again at verse 16. Here Paul declares, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write... Now, as we take a closer look at verse 17, I just want to take a moment to point out that Paul was ending this epistle with a salutation, uh, and this salutation was designed to confirm his authorship. And just to be clear here, the, the word salutation is translated from a Greek word which was used in reference to the respectful salute that is offered at the time of departure. You know, as you're, as you're leaving your f- friends or, or as you're wrapping up a letter, you, you might salute uh, the people who uh, uh, you, you, you've been spending time with or communicating with. And in this sort of way, Paul was respectfully saluting those who were serving the Lord there in Thessalonica. And not only that, but he's also wrapping up this epistle so that the believers there in Macedonia could actually receive it. You know, if, if, if they're going to you know, receive the letter, then you've got to end the letter at some point in time and send it, right? And that's what he's doing. He's wrapping up this epistle so that he could send it to the church there in Thessalonica. And just to be clear, the word epistle, which is found there at the end of verse 17, well, it's translated from a Greek word which was used in reference to a letter or to written instructions. And as we consider the instructions that we find in the epistles of Paul, well, we must not fail to realize that this letter was written and then sent to the Christians there at the church in Thessalonica so that the original recipients might learn that there's a source of peace that comes from the Lord of peace. That's what he's telling him here in this final chapter. That there is a source of peace for Christians which is found in the relationship that we have with the Lord of peace. And in this way then, we can see how this epistle written by Paul was able to provide peace to those who read and applied this information to their lives. Those who would follow the instructions found in this epistle would discover that source of peace in the Lord of peace. To further make my point here, I I just want to consider some of the other instructive doctrines that Paul presented when it comes to this doctrine of peace. And and for example, it's in Romans chapter 5 where Paul informs us that those who are justified by faith in Jesus Christ have peace with God. Those who are justified by faith in Jesus have peace with God. We'll learn more about this in our third point. But in Romans chapter 8, Paul also continues to explain that those who are carnally minded, well, that's death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. 
In other words, if you want to have peace in your life, then you need to be spiritually minded, focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul assured us that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And so if you're in the middle of some point of confusion, listen, God didn't author that. And as we turn our attention back to the Lord, he gives us peace. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul encouraged us to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul directed every disciple to let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And in Hebrews chapter 12, Paul instructs us to pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And listen, this is just a scratch on the surface of all the verses that contain instructions regarding the peace that we can receive from the Lord of peace. One of my favorite Pauline passages is found in Romans chapter 12. There he declares, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. From this, we can see that every believer has a reasonable responsibility to live peaceably with others. We all have a reasonable responsibility to do as much as depends on us to live at peace with others. At the same time, though, Paul here is acknowledging the fact that this is not always possible. It's not always possible to live peaceably with others. For example, listen, I cannot live peaceably with a criminal who's trying to break into my house. We're not going to share a nice peaceful meal together. That's not possible. I can't live peaceably with a person who's determined to deceive those that I've been called to lead as a pastor. I most certainly won't achieve peace with those who are obeying the evil schemes of Satan, that is, until they repent and turn to Christ. There are times when we cannot live peaceably with others. But as much as depends on us, we should try. We won't always enjoy peaceful relationships with every person, but we should do our best so that we can achieve peace. And yet these verses still provide us you know, with the peace of knowing that while peace isn't always possible between you know, us and others, we can still have peace even if others want to cause conflict in our lives. We, we might not be able to live peaceably with all people, but we can still have a heart that's filled with the peace that comes from the Lord of peace. And yeah, even when others are trying to create conflict. We don't have to engage in their conflict. And rather than focusing on those who want to create conflict, well, we should instead focus our attention on the truth of God's word because God's word provides us with the instructions so that we can have perfect peace even when others are trying to cause conflict in our lives. I like that uh, the way that the psalmist explains this. It's in the 119th psalm. It's verse 165. That's where the psalmist declares great peace have those who love your law and nothing causes them to stumble. According to the psalmist here, those who love the law of the Lord will end up enjoying peace, but not just peace. He says great peace. 
we're going to have a great level of peace by simply spending time studying the law of the Lord. In other words, those who will take the time to study the scripture so that we can learn how to love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength, those believers will begin to experience the incredible amount of peace that surpasses all understanding. And the believer who spends time studying the word of God so that we can learn how to love our neighbors with the sacrificial love of the Lord, well, we will also experience great peace, which comes from following the instructions that we find in God's word. I should also remind you of the promise that King Solomon made in Proverbs chapter three. He's writing to his son, and and it's here in verses one and two where he declares, my son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands for length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Here in these verses, King Solomon encourages his son to keep the commandments of the Lord. And according to Solomon, this commitment to keeping the commands will not only result in an abundant quantity of life, but also a peaceful quality of life. If you want your kids to have an abundant quantity of life, as well as a peaceful quality of life, then teach them to study the scriptures because it's in the scriptures where we find instructions concerning the peace of God. The kids who learn how to love the Lord and their neighbor according to the word of God, they enjoy the peace that surpasses all understanding according to the promises of the Lord. And it's for this reason that I encourage families to spend time studying God's word together so that they might enjoy the peace of the Lord that comes from the instructions found in God's word. I like the way that Jesus explains it. It's in John chapter 16. It's verse 33 where he declares this. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Here in these verses, we find the Lord Jesus helping his disciples to understand that those who follow the Lord are going to experience times of tribulation while we're here on the earth. And just to be clear, we're not talking about the time of tribulation which will occur during the 70th week of Daniel. That's a different tribulation altogether. No one said he's actually referring to the afflictions that occur as believers are persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. And with that being the case, the Lord of peace assures his disciples that he's able to provide them with peace even in those troublesome times. I like the way that the scholars who created the New English translation render the words of Jesus Christ. They put it like this. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world, you have trouble and suffering. But take courage, I have conquered the world. Isn't that incredible? Knowing that we will suffer the tribulations of persecution while we're here in this world, the Lord Jesus presents us with these doctrinal instructions. He he, he provides us with the teachings we need so that we can have a heart that's filled with peace even when we're facing the trials and the troubles of this world. Even when we find ourselves in the midst of tribulation and persecution, we can still have the peace that surpasses all understanding. And one way to to receive this peace is by simply studying the words of the Lord Jesus 
which provide us with peace in the midst of persecution. Rather than living in fear of the future, we ought to be studying the word of God today and every day. And as we do, the Lord will provide us with perfect peace as we continue to march forward into the future. Now, this brings us to our third and final point because, listen, we not only find peace in the power of God and we not only find peace in the word of God, but we also find peace in the grace of God. And with this as the focus, let's make our way back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 where we find Paul. He's now wrapping up this letter to the church there in Thessalonica. If you would, let's back up and begin reading once again at verse 16. Here, Paul again, Paul declares this. He says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace all ways in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle. So I write, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now here in the final verses of this book, we find Paul. He's invoking the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ upon all the believers who were gathered together there at the church in Thessalonica. You see, it was back in this period of time when you didn't have, you know, Bibles on every shelf. This was one letter being sent to the church in Thessalonica. And so the believers actually had to get together and do church (laughs) rather than sitting at home and pretending to do church. Yeah, they had to get together and read this letter together in their church. And so Paul here is sending this letter that wraps up with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to the, ch- the, the church there in Thessalonica. And as we consider this closing uh, with a focus on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's important to, uh, to, to remember here that the grace of God is the unearned and unmerited favor by which sinners are saved. The grace of God is unearned and unmerited. And whether we're talking about God's predetermined plan to provide us with a savior, or we're talking about the active role of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit comes and convicts the hearts of the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, actively drawing sinners to our savior, all of this is God's grace. Simply put, the grace of God by which we are saved is a gift that must be received by faith And by faith alone. Paul puts it plainly in Ephesians chapter 2. It's verses 8 and 9 where he declares that by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest anyone should boast. From this we can see that the grace of God is actually a free gift. Which must be received by faith. And just to be clear, you know, Paul goes on to insist that our salvation can't be earned with our good works. I mean, who do you know that brings you a free gift and says, but, you know, you got to do a couple of things for this. Got you a birthday gift, but I'm going to need you to get baptized in water. You know, brought you a free gift, but I'm going to need you to do these these sacraments. You're going to have to say seven Hail Marys to receive it, right? Wait, I thought it was a free gift. Well, it is, but, you know, there's a couple of things you got to do for it, right? No. A free gift is a free gift. The grace of God is a free gift that we don't deserve and we most certainly cannot earn it. No, instead, we simply receive it by faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what this means, then, is that we're saved by grace and by God's grace alone. 
This is precisely the point that Paul is making in Romans chapter 11. It's verse 6 where he says this, that if it's by grace, then it's no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. In other words, it's one of the other people, but it's not of both. If salvation is earned by our good works, then it is not a free gift of grace. Conversely, if salvation is a free gift of grace, then it's no longer based on our works. And the cult groups who want to make it a a combination of the both, the ones who want to say, well, it's grace and it's works. You know, it's a little bit of this and it's a little bit of that. It's a little bit of Jesus, it's a little bit of you. It's a little bit of shake and bake and I helped. You know, it's, no, no, no. It's not of both. So you can either choose the path of trying to work your way to heaven only to discover that you weren't good enough or you can receive the free gift of grace by faith in Jesus Christ. But there's no combination of grace plus works. And seeing how Paul already confirmed that our election is based in grace, well, then we can rejoice. We can rejoice in knowing that the Lord isn't expecting us to work our way to heaven. I don't know about you, but that's great news. Because listen, if it's dependent upon me to work my way to heaven, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. You might not know this, but uh, I'm just a human with, with failures. I can't do enough good works to earn my way into heaven, and neither can you. So when Paul says it's by grace that you're saved through faith, I don't, know, I don't know about you, but that fills my heart with peace. It fills my heart with peace because I know it's not dependent upon me. If it's dependent upon me, I'm stressed out. But if it's based on the good work that Jesus accomplished on the cross, well, I'm at peace. Why? Well, because he finished the work, and then the work was accepted, the evidence being in the ascension of Jesus Christ. And so by faith in Jesus Christ, I receive the grace of God that fills my heart with peace. And to further make my case, I want to take a moment to consider the way that Paul explains it to the Christians who were there in the church in Rome. And so if you would, uh, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. And as you make your way to the fifth chapter of Romans, I just want to take a moment to remind you about the enmity that occurs between God and the unrepentant unbeliever. You might not know this, but prior to our repentance, every unbeliever is actually an enemy of God. They're actually at war with God. That's the state of the unrepentant unbeliever. They're at war with God, and that's why they don't have peace. But then after receiving the conviction of sin that comes from the Holy Spirit, the person who will raise the white flag of repentance, in other words, those who will repent thereby surrendering to the Lord, repenting of dead works, and then placing their faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's at that point in time when the repentant believer receives the grace of God by which we are justified and cleansed from the stain of our sin. I like the way that Paul explains it here in Romans chapter 5. Look with me there beginning at verse 1. Here Paul declares, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also 
we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Incredible. The grace of God which results in the justification of those who trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ then enables those who were once the enemies of God to become born-again believers who are now at peace with our Creator. And not only that, but Paul also informs us that Christians are able to continue standing by the grace of God. And as we stand in the ongoing grace of God, we're able to then rejoice in hope of the glory of God each and every day. And what this means? Well, Christians are able to enjoy the peace of God each and every day as we continue to receive grace upon grace upon grace. I like the way that John explains it in John chapter 1. It's verses 16 and 17 where he declares, of his fullness, speaking of Jesus, of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace, or in other words, grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I love that. The law which condemns us, that came through Moses. And the law is good for what it was intended for, a tutor to help us to see our need for Jesus. But the law that came through Moses condemns us as sinners. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, and it's offered through his sacrifice, where his blood was poured out as a payment for our sins. Those who are under the law, well, they're still struggling, struggling to find peace in their lives. Why? Well, because the law condemns. If you're living under the law, then you're living under the condemnation of the law. Conversely, the Christian who is resting in the righteousness of Jesus Christ is thereby enabled to enjoy the peace that surpasses all understanding. And the reason why is because Jesus provides us with the grace that fills our hearts with peace. In other words, as we receive the grace of God, we then have peace with God. And as we live in the peace of God, we continue to enjoy peace as we receive grace upon grace. If you're lacking peace in your life, then I encourage you, prayerfully ask the Lord for grace. Prayerfully ask the Lord for grace. And as we receive more grace from God, we will also receive the peace that comes from that grace. I like the way that Paul explains it in Philippians chapter 4. It's there where he declares, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God and then what happens the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ Christian listen if you're lacking peace in your life then the question you ought to be asking is this am I resting in the grace that enables us to stand and rejoice in the glory of God if you're lacking peace, then the, the chances are you're not. If you're lacking peace in your life, then the chances are you are not resting in the grace that enables us to stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 
chances are if you're lacking peace in your life, then you're a person who's trying to take control of all of the issues that fill our hearts with anxiety. And there's many issues. Uh, There are many issues that we want to control. Amen? Mm. No amens? Trying to control how long this Bible study goes on for. Listen, if you're trying to take control of all the issues that that fill your heart with anxiety, then you can't rest. You can't rest in that. Trust me when I tell you that the Christian who is trying to control the outcome of every situation will always be a ball of stress. Why? Well, because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and you don't don't know how this situation is going to unfold, and and, and you don't know how it's going to turn out. All you know is that today i I got to arrange it and situate it and fix it and and, and make sure it doesn't turn out this way or that way, and i got to keep that person out of here. In the words of Arnold, chill out. Paul simply says, exchange your anxieties for peace by putting it all at the feet of Jesus. Let him him control the situation. He can, and he will. The believer who fails to rest in the providential power of God will also fail to rest in the grace that fills our hearts with peace. But those who will prayerfully present their requests to the Lord with a heart that's filled with thanksgiving, they learn how to trust in the Lord's ability to work all things together for the good of those who love him. And as we learn to rest in this providential power of God, knowing that he's got everything under control, That's when we enjoy the grace of God that enables us to exchange our anxieties for the peace that surpasses all understanding. Sadly, there's many Christians who love their anxieties. Because if they stop worrying about it, then they're no longer in control over it, right? Right. You know, true control over something is based in worry. And if you can worry about it enough, then you can somehow control it and fix it, right? How many times has that worked out for you? I'm guessing zero times. Every time you start feeling anxious, I encourage you to ask the Lord for more grace. To, to, with thanksgiving, ask the Lord to take care of the things that you're worried about, leave them with him, and then just rest in the grace that fills our hearts with peace, knowing that by the grace of God, He fixes everything in the end. And he will. In this way, the Lord will fill our hearts with grace as we discover a source of peace that we don't fully understand. But then, are we supposed to? We don't really fully understand how we can have peace in this moment. I'm sure we've all experienced it. Everything's falling apart around us. Nothing's working out well. And yet, there's this peace in our hearts. It's incredible. We don't understand it. And the reason why is because it's supernatural. What would it be to God that we would just live in that state of peace? By just realizing that God's in control. There's nothing for us to worry about. 
as we begin to wrap up our study, I just want to take a moment to remind you that the Prince of Peace, well, he's the one who provides us with perfect peace, and even when things are falling apart around us. At the same time, though, listen, the Prince of Peace won't establish world peace until he first establishes his millennial kingdom here on the earth. And so if you're wondering why the Prince of Peace hasn't yet established perfect peace all around the world, well, it's because that peace won't be here until his millennial kingdom. Until then, we should expect to see less and less peace in every society here in our nation. And we should expect to see less and less peace all around the world. And you might be wondering, well, how do you know that? And the reason why is because I've read the book of Revelation. I know how it all ends. And and listen, not only do we see, uh, you know, international wars continuing to increase until the, the day of Armageddon, but we also see, you know, societal disruptions that would rob us of peace. This is going to happen at the national level, at the state level, and listen, even in our own homes. And to prove my point, if you would, let's turn to Matthew chapter 10. And as you make your way to the 10th chapter of Matthew's gospel account, I just want to take a moment to point out that there can be no peace apart from the Prince of Peace. There can be no peace without the Prince of Peace. And what this means is that we really can't establish true peace with those who are still at war with God. And I want to consider the way that Jesus puts it here in Matthew chapter 10. If you would look with me there beginning at verse 34. Here Jesus declares, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. Wait, what? I thought this was the prince of peace. And yet Jesus says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Here in these verses, we find the Lord Jesus. He's helping his apostles to understand that the Lord Jesus is the one who will bring peace to the hearts of those who trust in him. And yet at the same time, he also brings a sword, which is to divide believers from unbelievers. Now, I I, I get it. Like this is not, you know, the the sort of statement that we would expect from the Prince of Peace. And yet... Here it is. And not only is this hard to hear, it's hard to teach it. To say that Jesus brings a sword that divides families in half between believers and unbelievers. It's hard to understand it. And yet it's true. The Lord brings a spiritual sword that divides believers from unbelievers and even within the same household. As a result, those who have embraced the Lord of peace will soon discover that they'll begin to experience more and more conflict with family members who are still at war with God. It's for this reason that Christ Jesus commanded us to take up the cross every day 
and follow him. You see, this is the solution. We need to take up the cross every day and follow him. And in order to understand how this is a solution here, Jesus, well, he's directing his disciples to learn how to love every unbeliever within our sphere of influence with the sacrificial love of our Savior. And and as we walk in the sacrificial love of the Lord, we're effectively taking up the cross. Now, the the, the cross that the unbelievers are going to nail us to. And as we endure the abuse of angry unbelievers, the Lord will continue to provide us with perfect peace as those who hate our Savior begin to persecute us for our faith in Jesus Christ. And yet the Lord still will give us more peace. You know, the sort of peace that Jesus demonstrated while he hung on the cross. And as he hung there on the cross, he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Now think about the level of peace that you would have to have to have just been scourged with a Roman whip, nailed to a Roman cross, and you're suffocating. As you hang from these three points, your wrists and your ankles, and, it, and it's hard to breathe and therefore hard to talk. And yet in the midst of all of this, Jesus has the peace of mind to say, Father, forgive them. That's incredible. And the Christian who takes up their cross daily, they can also experience the same peace that comes from God as we endure the persecutions of the unbelievers around us. And yet, in this way, the Lord wants to reveal his love and his grace and his peace to those who are currently still at war with him. The Lord wants to use us, Christian, in the midst of our persecution so that the unbelievers who are persecuting might catch a glimpse of the grace of God by which we can be at peace with our Creator. With all of this in mind, I encourage you in closing to remember that the Lord of peace is the only source of everlasting peace. And so regardless of the situations that we find ourselves facing, it's crucial for every Christian to remember that we find our peace in the relationship we have with the Lord of peace. We find our peace in the power of God because the Lord of peace is the one who has the authority over every single situation, and so we don't have to worry about it. We also find our peace in the word of God because it's the word of God that provides us with the instructions that we need so that we can enjoy the peace that surpasses all understanding. And finally, we find peace in the grace of God because it's the grace of God that enables us to escape the condemnation of the law. law. And as we escape the condemnation of the law, we don't have to fear the future because we already know the future. It's the salvation of our soul which will result in everlasting peace. And so it's by grace that we're able to walk by faith with the Lord of peace. And it's the Lord of peace who alone is able to provide us with perfect peace, both today and forevermore. Let's pray.